Hello, and welcome to a Mental Breakdown podcast with me, Bryce, and Liam. Hey, um, it's been a while since we last talked to made a podcast, but we have very, very good excuses for it. You caught the vid, man. How you doing? I'm good now. <laughs> to be fair, I think I got lucky. I didn't get too, too bad symptoms, just the general feeling under weather for ages. But, but yeah, no, fully recovered now, hopefully. And I had strep throat. The doctor took one look at my throat and was like, oh, wow. And I, <laughs> I, uh, I took a, the flashlight on my phone and pointed it down my throat using the mirror. And it literally looked like a creature out of an alien movie. Like, it, oh, was, no. it was rough. <laughs> I shouldn't be laughing, but you've somehow made it comical then. Yeah. The last time we talked, we talked about the NCAA tournament. Um, and before we go any further, I think I owe you a public apology. I'll, I'll take it. Dear Liam, I'm sorry I made fun of your bracket. I should have listened to my own advice when I said a coin flip is as good as anything. I'm particularly sorry that when you said St. Peter's would beat Kentucky, that I laughed and said, that's just not going to happen. And as we all know, it did happen. And it continued and really crushed my hope and, and dreams. I was wrong. I hope you can forgive me. You know what? I can forgive you because of my incredible humility. I will forgive you. You're just the most humble. There's no one more humble than you. <laughs> hey, what a call that I'm was. I'm just the most humble guy. What a call that was. I wish I'd have stuck some money on it. You know, you, you like you've, they, that's your first bracket and you made an unbelievable call. Um, yeah, can, can we forget who I actually called for the actual championship? Yeah, that was, uh, yeah. yeah. So you need okay. to learn a lesson about Iowa is that they're really not good. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But yeah. Yeah, well, but I was going to mention um, in 2008, I remember my big like can't claim to fame when I make picks was that I picked Northern Iowa beating Kansas back then, which was a 15 over a two upset at the time, similar to your St. Peter's over Kentucky. Um, the reason I did it is because I actually knew Northern Iowa was better than a 15 seed. You did it because you like underdogs. <laughs> yeah, I was just reading it and reading the reviews of like each of the teams and they thought, you know what, why not? Yeah, well, I mean. It's all for fun anyway. It's not like you're losing anything, picking it. No, exactly, exactly. I, I was after, You know what? After the first bracket, right, except for me choosing the winner and them going out first, like, most of the other sure. ones actually worked out all right. Yeah. Yeah, your bracket's pretty good. Mine was actually not that bad either, except for that one. Um, yeah, I don't really want to talk about the bracket that much because of my intense pain attached to it. Uh, and especially because... It ended up being a final four of Blue Bloods, which was just really frustrating because from where that tournament came from. Yeah. To have Villanova, Kansas, Carolina, and Duke being the final four is just... And it's sad because Villanova lost a key player to an Achilles injury in the Elite Eight, or else they have a better chance, and that was the only team out of all four of them that I would have actually cheered for. That's quite sad. Yeah. But, you know, spring is the best time of the year. Basketball. The NBA playoffs have started, which we might talk about. We've got the NBA Finals, and which I think is when we should talk about that, and the Champions League Finals coming up. Plenty of sport, isn't it? I mean, even my cricket season started, so it's just the perfect time of year. Yeah, spring is, spring is the best for all of those things. But, you know, it's also best because it means it's the return of golf season. 
<laughs> Golf is back, baby. Yes, it is. And for me, the Masters tournament has always been like it's the beginning of the golf year. It's be, it's it feels to me like it's the beginning of the year, like January to you know March or whatever. Just suck anyway. So to me, the Masters has always signified the beginning of the year, um, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, I tell you what, like I, I managed to watch pretty much all of it because I like how, especially when there's a big tournament on in golf, you can kind of just have it on in the background. You can do other things like you can cook, you can kind of do a bit of reading or whatever. But you can always, it's like whenever there's a great shot, it'll catch your eye, and I don't know, it's just it's just great to just have is, is that kind of like a constant when it's on. Um, the Masters is great for that too because you always hear the roar of the oh, crowd. Yeah, of course, like, that's of course, like yeah. to me, that's always a defining moment from it. And so, like, you can be, you know, whatever, and hear general collapse. And when something big happens, you either hear the <gasps> like when Cam Smith put it in the water, or the big cheers when somebody sticks a pin. Do you want to hear my claim to fame for this Masters? Okay, what, what you got? Okay, so um, we always stick on a uh, stick on bets. Me and my housemates when the Masters happens. Um, so me and my other housemate both chose Scheffler is our winner um oh, that's easy that's, uh, look, not, that's not yeah, a look, yeah. that's easy he's the number one player in the world yeah, yeah i know but the number one player in the world doesn't actually usually win that much like that's well they win a lot that's how they become the number one player in the world they just don't always win yeah, the yeah they don't usually they win into it. that's bigger, true bigger because of the masters is a unique yeah. tournament and the way it's the same course and so a lot of it is the players being good at the course is who win the masters but the reason it's really not that big a pick is because out of the top I don't know, 20 players. He's probably him and Sam Burns who got top 10 after the masters are probably the only two players that were actually playing well at all. Everyone else was playing like garbage. Yeah. It's, it it sounds like it's not been kind of an easy, easy lead up to that tournament, but, but no, I, I understand it's a basic call, but you know what? I made a decent amount of money. (laughs) So I claim it. The other one is I did put on um, the Canadian golf. Is it Corey Connors? Is it? Corey yeah, Connors, yeah. little Corey Connors, each way. So uh, to finish in the top eleven, and he did. So um, I, I had... the best tempo on the LPGA. Yeah, yeah. I, I had a lovely tournament watching my uh, my golf. I did have Matsuyama, but he did uh, right on, on. I think it was the second to last day. I had an absolute shocker and just decided to to. Uh, <laughs> yeah, repeating's really really hard. Um, you kind of passed over that joke. Corey Connors with the best tempo in the LPGA. That's a uh, the ladies PGA tour. <laughs> Are you trying to? Uh, just no, I'm to saying he. When you watch the LP, so when you watch the LPGA, the tempo of their swings is so good. Like they're not swinging out of their mm. shoes. They're all controlled. They're unbelievably accurate. And like, there's a, only a handful. In my opinion, there's probably only been a handful of truly great tempos on golf history. And you've got it's like Ernie Els, uh, VJ Singh had pretty yeah. good tempo. Corey Connors, um, Fred, Freddie Couples. Uh, those kind of guys, the best players in the world are always like swinging hard. Like Nick Faldo and Greg Norman used to swing really hard. Tiger Woods, obviously. Phil, obviously. That's true. So the joke is that he's got the best tempo in the LPGA because that's where all the good tempo is. Okay, okay. Thanks for explaining the joke. It makes it a lot funnier. Yeah, now that you you know understand what I'm <laughs> talking about. I just didn't want people listening to be like, oh, he said LPGA. Is he confused? <laughs> yes, he is confused. So going into the Masters tournament this year, people were playing really bad. But part of it, too, is that like most of the talk in golf had been about things not involving the Masters. And it used to feel like, and usually in a normal Masters year, it feels like each week from January till the tournament 
feels like everyone's focused on the masters it's all oh will he play well at the masters oh he won here will he play well at the masters now oh he's got good momentum going to the masters that's what all the talk is but the last probably i don't know 10 months of golf i've been completely dominated by this talk about the saudi golf tour yeah it's it i can't say i know too much about it i had my, my flatmate explain it to me um a while ago and it just sounded so weird like that the split that there is between the golfers at the moment well, it's it's kind of been um, it yeah it's a constantly evolving situation, but it's kind of become more solidified to the point where we have dates, um, we have an idea of how many players are going and how many big time players. There's only 15 of the top 100 that are apparently signed up for it. Okay. Um, so it's not like you're gonna get like it, you know most of the top 10 have already com- like said we're not participating, so we're not too. Like you can't be too bothered by it, but there, but for a long time, it felt like the money was just going to win until Phil messed up. So, um, a few, probably a month ago, maybe a month and a half ago, uh, the talk about the Saudi golf tour was coming more uh, solid. It was at the Riviera Genesis open or whatever at Riviera country club, which is an amazing golf course in California. Um, all the talk had been about that. They were supposedly announced of getting ready to announce their field. Um, Bryson, Phil, and DJ were supposed to be the big names attached to it. And then they were going to have a bunch of other also top 100 players. Then Phil did an interview with somebody who's writing his biography. And a non-sanctioned biography. The guy just decided to write it. So Phil's contacting guy who's writing a non-sanctioned biography. So it's not something Phil's controlling. And does it and talks to him, and does a pseudo interview where he says, uh, he he basically spills the beans and says he's using it as leverage against PGA Tour, and that he understands that the people he's getting involved with in Saudi Arabia are dangerous MFs, <laughs> and that um and that he just wants to use them to leverage the PGA Tour. Nice. Milk. And within within literally like twelve hours, the whole thing fell apart. It's so now it's de- so now uh, Phil. No, we don't know who the top fifteen of the top one hundred are. Uh, there's a pretty good idea that it's guys like Ian Poulter, Adam Scott, um, players like that, kind of older players, kind of at the end of the year. Okay, so, so it never got leaked. The money to run. No, it has not been leaked. It constantly there's rumors and things like that, but according but because of the contracts and stuff, they we can't confirm course, who yeah. it is. Like that was the latest report that I read today. But basically. Um, the way it works is it's actually Saudi, uh, the PGL, which is run by a, an English um, million, multimillionaire, billionaire, I'm not sure what he is, uh, who is planning on trying to improve golf in general. His goal is to actually improve golf. I've listened to a bunch of interviews about him uh, and from his perspective, and his goal is to improve the viewing experience and make it better for the players and make it better for the fans and then all the people involved. Like His goal is actually to improve golf. And originally there were some rumors coming out that they were going to partner with Saudi Arabia and use them as a huge financial backing. Then they changed their model to instead be, instead of being a competitor to the PGA tour, their goal is now to partner with the PGA tour, which they're struggling to get meetings to make that happen as you might imagine. But because they spurned the uh, Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia basically took their model of their tournament set up a, and then is now forcing their way into it because they're doing what you might imagine that they're doing, which is a problem in football as well, is that they're just sports washing their image using golfers. Of course, yeah. 
uh, all the way down to the fact that Greg Norman, who is now considered the, who's the CEO, um, the grand choke artist, Greg Norman is the CEO of live golf. And he, um, and he has been quoted as saying things like, Oh, it's a lot more progressive than you think there's women at restaurants. And that to him is defining. <laughs> wow. means that everything's good there now. Yeah. So. Why not? <laughs> it, it sounds quite scarily similar to the European super league in football, doesn't it? Just that people kind of, it is. Yeah. People want to have their own, their own cake and eat it, don't they really? They want to go away and control the controllables that they can over money and over locations and stuff. And I'm, I'm glad it has fallen apart. And I'm, uh, it, it's... It's not completely over. Like, because once they start doing this, they're going to see some of these guys, they're going to see like the 75th ranked player, you know, make $30 yeah, million yeah, dollars make in ton, one yeah. tournament. Yeah. And they're going to go, oh, well how do I justify that? So I think that there's still things that needs to be like PJ tour has issues and it needs to be addressed and they need to improve. And a big part of those issues from my perspective as a viewing fan is that they need to improve the actual product and that they have too much commercials. The TV coverage is terrible. They're not telling enough stories. They're not, you know, they're not, they're basically protecting the players too much and not allowing them to, and making them seem like robots. And that we're just supposed to cheer for all of them. And that's just not good television no and 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 just speaking on the uk bath they don't really advertise it that much as well i mean there's always like pj golf going on and it's not really yeah there's a golf channel i think for for sky sports and yeah it's sky sports does all the golf in the, britain and apparently their coverage is a lot better than american coverage but the coverage can be good but they don't advertise that it's on <laughs> Yeah, do, I mean, do you get F1 advertisements? Because they have their own F1 channel. Do you get those advertisements too? Um, we do get F1 advertisements, yes. Because um, obviously with it being on like what every Saturday and Sunday, there's always like when you're watching sports and football, especially at the weekend, there's always those F1 ads like in, in between games and stuff. See, they can do the same thing with golf. That doesn't make sense because golf is Saturday, Sunday. That's when exactly. most people watch it. Exactly. You think so. But um, but yeah, like because honestly, I, I, I could it's hard to describe with the masters it was plastered over everywhere they had their own kind of special adverts on their joint that they've made themselves the key and, is um, that the masters controls their own media stuff that's the big yeah. part of the reason why it's such a pleasurable experience to watch all the apps are better the tv coverage is better the storytelling is better um just everything is a lot better with the masters because they control their own media and their focus is making the viewing experience better where the PGA Tour, their goal is to make as much money for their players as possible. So yeah, they don't care as yeah. much about the viewing experience. That's true. That's true. I guess that balance needs to be found, doesn't it? Yeah. And see, what's funny is it's very short-sighted to me the way the PGA Tour does it because they always talk about this. They, there's a running joke in a lot of golf media that the, about this phrase they use all the time, grow the game. And they basically just use it as an excuse to do stupid things like go play golf in Saudi Arabia and Dubai. Um and you always, and every time you hear those, you hear the the media ask them about what they feel like playing in a country like this. And when the when Formula One's there, you hear Lewis Hamilton talk about it, and he sounds completely different than the golfers. He sounds way more grounded. He's like, "Look, I have no choice to be here. I don't want to be here, but I am." And you hear Seb Vettel mm -hmm. say the same things, and they're even protesting wearing you know pride shirts and stuff on the grid when they're told not to. Yeah. So it's like the difference between the two is night and day. And there's some reasoning behind that. Like the players do choose where they go. So if they're playing in Saudi Arabia, they're doing it by choice. So you're not going to hear them, you know, eviscerate it. But they use this phrase, grow the game all the time. And the real way to grow the game is to make the product more enjoyable to watch because then you'll have more people watch and then people more be, 
interested in the sport and then go play. Like it's, it's really that simple, but they lose sight of that so much. They could almost take some tips from the, the IPL in cricket, couldn't they? Oh, they probably, yeah, definitely. IPL is dope. Like I'm not completely against foreign leagues purely because of what IPL has done for cricket. I mean, for sure. If you if you're very much a, a cricket purist, you'd say that IPL's kind of affected the way that people play in a bad way. But it's it's brought in such a massive kind of audience, and and golf could do the same, but it needs to be done in the right way, and with the right people, and without making yeah. too much too many political statements on this podcast. I don't think the Saudi Arabian government are the right people. Yeah. But we mentioned all of this. We kind of got sidetracked there, but we mentioned all of that <laughs> because this is all overshadowing the Masters until I think the week before the Masters, there's rumors going around. Somebody even has a flight tracker. Tiger's going to Augusta <laughs> to play practice rounds. Immediately your thought is, oh, he's just going to go and hang out and he's going to do the Champions Dinner and you know that kind of thing. But then he plays a practice round with his son and JT and a bunch of other people. And you, he then he flies home, and the rumors are he's going to play. Then he shows up on Monday and starts playing legit practice rounds and says, my goal is to play. And suddenly, 14 months ago, he's almost dead in a horrific car crash. If he were any, the, the, the quote I read was that if he were anyone other than Tiger Woods, they would have amputated his leg. And now he's showing up to play at the Masters 14 months later. And it's it wasn't even just showing up to take part as well was it it was showing no. up and <laughs> playing some pretty good golf that's not those, really in tiger's mo is it he's not just showing up to be there he's no, never no. showing up to be there if he shows up he wants to win but it, it was crazy because obviously you, you could visibly see him kind of like hobbling about sometimes you know towards the end of some of the rounds yeah it was sort of painful to watch at times but it's one of those things where like he was quoted afterwards. Somebody or Jack was Jack Nicholas uh, at the Champions Dinner. Afterwards, he said, you know, he asked Tiger, like, "Why are you doing this to yourself? Like, you're going to be in so much pain." And Tiger's response was, "Well, I know I'm going to be in a pain 12 months from now, so why not just do it now so that I can, you know, learn to get through it?" And like, that's an unbelievable attitude. Yeah, yeah. There's some serious resilience there, isn't there? Yeah, and I was thinking about this: is that there's probably oh a handful of athletes in my lifetime and in, in anybody's given lifetime who are like that tiger woods mentality of like, if I show up, I'm going to win and I'm always going to show up that kind of personality. And I was just thinking through it. It's like tiger. It's like Michael Phelps, Usain Bolt, Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Messi, Ronaldo, the Williams sisters, the big three in tennis. And then like Lewis Hamilton, Tom Brady, those kind of people like it, those are the only people who and that's like i don't know 12 people in my 30 years that fit that definition it's so rare and it's just one of those things where i think we need to appreciate that more oh 100 i mean the the late great shane Warne, my, my cricketing hero yes he was very much of the same ilk and obviously i kind of feel like pat cummins might fit that that attitude too I mean, we'll, we'll see over the next few years whether he, he kind of like reaches the, the same heights, but but definitely like potentially. Um, I just mean the attitude aspect of it, right? The like, uh, I'm going to come out and go hard, right? I'm going to give it everything. And it's not so much about just making a happy life or whatever. It's about coming out and being successful. It's about winning. It's about the, the kind of Mamba mentality that Kobe used to define it as. So I, I think... I watched a really great documentary about Shane Warne after after he died, and 
it was it, he attributed kind of the, the, it to the sacrifices he made. So he knew he made a choice basically between his family and professional success. And he was comfortable with the choice he made, which was professional success, knowing very much kind of what he was sacrificing. Um, and I guess that's the same for some of those. I mean, the amount of kind of what birthdays you probably miss out while you're competing or training, the amount of times that you, you're not there when you probably should be there for either your kids or your family. It's that kind of sacrifice and that drive that, that kind of sets all of these kind of uh, characters that were named apart, really. You can kind of in those clutch moments, I think what they've sacrificed to get to where they are seems to be what sets them apart, doesn't it? Absolutely. When we're talking about that kind of attitude, these are the kind of people that like that, that mentality for them, it's really easy for that. Not easy. It's never easy, but it's a lot more common. It's a lot more likely that when they have suffered serious injury, like tiger has, or like some of the other guys mentioned have, that they are able to grind their way back and return to the level of play. Yeah, well, I, it, it's it's that drive, isn't it? It's that that image that they've been there before. They know what to do to get back to the top, sort of thing. Um, it definitely does help. Um, but but yeah, it, there was something slightly emotional, wasn't there, about watching Tiger kind of yeah, do it what was. he's doing? They because especially on the commentary we were getting in the UK, they were explaining it how Tiger almost seemed a slightly different person um, when he was there. He seemed to be kind of, um, I don't know, he's, he's usually very steely-faced and doesn't show much mm-hmm. emotion, does he, when he when he played his golf um, previously? Since, um, since I think, I, I, so Tiger is an extremely flawed human. And since his mm-hmm. first car crash, when he got arrested for DUI and then went into rehab, after he got out of rehab, he kind of started showing more of that kind of, he started mentoring players more. He started mm-hmm. connecting with the players more. I think he realized he was on the back end of his career where during his prime, he never would have done any of that because he wanted to beat you. He didn't want to give you anything. Um, but nowadays, as he's kind of become the elder statesman, he's begun mentoring more. He's even been a President's Cup captain. Um, so in like the recent years, he's kind of been transforming a little bit to be that way. And I think a lot of it has to do with like some of the therapy he went through, through his issues. Like he's a truly flawed human and that's kind of i think what makes it so compelling is we all know we're flawed like everyone always wants to talk like they're you know the whole classic biblical example of you know pull the log out of your eye before you talk about a speck in someone else's everyone always wants to pick on him for that stuff but we all have it and that's why it's so compelling it is so compelling because yeah it's because everyone strives for perfection don't they and and you kind of you look at these people at the top of their game and and you're thinking it must be the perfect people like it's hard to compare yourself to them so then when they do have their flaws and you see them it kind of almost makes you feel a little bit closer to them doesn't it in that in a weird kind of way yeah and especially for someone who broke so many barriers as a black golfer that they have different they have that weight that stereotype thread on top of it like you look at the way people talk about basketball players versus the way they talk about white football players or the way they talk about those kind of people who they are as leaders. And when they do make like mistakes like that, they get passes like Arnold Palmer is considered one of the greatest golfers of all time. Everyone loves him. He had Arnie's army, but he was just as much of a womanizer as tiger was, but he gets a complete pass for all of that. 
Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Who gets revered and who gets um, criticized? Yeah, and it's it's the same. It's for the same behavior, and so it's just kind of um, like seeing him kind of come out of that shell a bit as he's gotten older has been really nice to see, and it's just kind of like my own personal journey through his career in my lifetime, like watching his career, like I kind of grew up and kind of learned about how to treat um, like that, how to look up to people, right? Like how to look at your heroes Mm -hmm. by learning through that, right? And like his whole fiasco around 2010 and then all that stuff that goes down, like that kind of, that kind of stuff all helped me learn that like we're all human. Yeah. Yeah. And and I guess it's almost about, how you get past those mistakes isn't it how you how you bounce back how you change yeah and one of those and like we were talking about that list of players i was talking about the list of all-time greats and a bunch of different sports that kind of fit this and i was looking through the research on the psychological factors to recovering from injury or coming back from long layoffs and things like that and like there's basically two like huge like i guess personality factors um, one is your high internal locus of control of your health. So like whether or not you believe you're in control of your health. And the other one was the high self-efficacy. And we think back to like Tiger and all the other greats, the high self-efficacy makes perfect sense. And that's why they're able to re- return from long layoffs or injury. Yeah, they're always going to be confident in themselves and confident in their ability no matter what, are they? Yeah, it kind of reduces their barriers. Yeah, and they know that they're in control of their return. Yeah, which which is obviously that's something that's quite hard to picture, isn't it? If you if you're told that you might not be able to walk or run properly again, it's hard to kind of be able to to get that picture in your mind yeah. that I am in control of what happens. It's it's tough, um, and but those are like the two main personality factors I find. Did you find anything different in your research? I, I think just the reading I was doing, it was about the drive. I think yeah, I think that's what sets sets seems to set these apart because it's in every facet isn't it it's not just when they're on the field it's that drive to to be the best they can be no matter the situation so often quite a lot of these quite a lot of these um these players are uh, ultra competitive at anything so in the documentary i was watching about shane horn he was talking about how so he had a brother and he'd try and beat his brother at anything no matter if it was something like tiddlywinks or dominoes (laughs) or if it was aussie rules and they showed a clip and it was just him and his brother like trying to kick goals for in an Aussie rules field. And he was even like, even there just making fun of him for missing and trying to put him <laughs> off and stuff like that. So I think for me, that's, that's what seems to set these greats apart is that they drive throughout anything. They don't seem to be knocked, do they? Nothing seems to kind of take their focus away from where they want to be. And, um, and that kind of like leads to that level of competitiveness to because I'm, I'm using a very very silly example here but Wigan had a footballer called Jordan uh, Jordan Cousins he's um plays us at the moment and he was told his season had ended he got injured about five six months ago and he's come back a month before the season has finished and he's played what a couple of games and the doctors came out and said they basically said your season's over and he, he goes no it's not <laughs> I love that <laughs> I'll be back sort of thing. Um, so it's almost that kind of just competitiveness with yourself, isn't it? Of, of challenging your own body to to be like, you know what, I'm actually going to beat this. I'm going to come back. Um, 
but yeah, I think that that's that's kind of the common kind of tendency that I saw anyway. So the question then becomes is if you don't have that, how do we reach that? And what I was reading was that um, as far as interventions to help improve those kinds of things, the most successful that I was seeing was, as you might expect, goal setting and adherence to those goals. And like that was the, yeah, that's like the big one to help them stay focused on their goals and where they want to get to. So that if you don't have that Shane Warren, Tiger Woods type, Kobe Bryant, Jordan, Michael Jordan type attitude of like chasing your, where you're going to be no matter what and having that laser focused and the goal setting adherence to it, planning, those kinds of things can help make up for it. I think that that, that laser focus we talk about is still on a goal though, isn't yeah. it? They, but they they find it a bit easier to set themselves those larger goals of say Shane Warne, I will come back from this ban or yeah. Ty Gordon, I will come back from this injury. It's it, I guess some of these greats seem to find it a bit easier to to make those broader goals. Whereas yeah, if 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 you feel like you don't have that laser focus, it's about m- making sure even if you break it down into the tiny steps week by week of what you need to do and what, where you need to be at a certain point. Um, and especially as well with setbacks and the ability mm-hmm. to make those goals quite dynamic because inevitably with injuries there are setbacks because you end up pushing your body in a different way because for example like if you do your hamstring it might lead into your back um, yep. into some back issues okay. because kind of things yeah yeah exactly so um, I think it's about making sure those goals are, are shorter uh, more achievable points but also dynamic enough to, to allow you to, to kind of not get derailed and not get completely kind of like that focus taken away yeah um i mean that's very well put is that you use those little tiny little goals to go step by step so that you can reach the bigger ones and in that way even the average person who has just everyday life and is trying to recover from like my dad just had a knee replacement surgery um and one of the big things mm-hmm. is he's been setting goals for himself and I've been helping him work through that stuff and making sure he focuses on his goals, making sure he accepts setbacks and accepts the pain um, and what his goals are. Um, and it's one of those things where it's like, uh, that's how we, we kind of copy those guys. Like we're never, I'm like my, me personally, I will never have that Mamba Kobe Bryant killer attitude, but by doing things like goal setting and then chasing those and focusing on those goals each day, I can kind of imitate it and come as close as I can. Yeah, and I think that's it. Like, obviously, us as psychologists are very much uh, of the individual mind, aren't we? That um, each person needs a slightly different thing to get them going, and each person needs a slightly different technique, or you know, maybe the same technique but edited to to keep themselves kind of at the top of where they want to be. And I don't think it's a bad thing that you don't have that number mentality. Not everyone does, and that's not a slide on anyone, right? But you can still show that mental strength and mental fortitude and that type of thing through the different things that you do in terms of what you plan and goal setting is 100% one of them. I think self-talk as well. I think for me, whenever I have injuries and I'm trying to come back from them, self-talk really helps me, especially in those moments where you're feeling kind of a little bit forlorn. Like I I tend to have quite a few hamstring Mm -hmm. injuries at cricket um, because somehow I've injured myself playing cricket. Yeah, I know. But <laughs> I mean, baseball players get hurt all the time. My White Sox, their whole roster's falling apart right now. But I think for me, self-talk has really helped me get through it, and and because um, because you do hit those low moments when you're injured, or it'll happen again when you think you're you're fully fine, and and yeah, it's about that kind of giving yourself the best chance to to bounce back, and and using techniques like goal setting and self-talk. I think give you that best chance. Yeah, I mean, 
going back to that, uh, you mentioned like not everybody has that attitude. And that's, I think what people do is they don't like give themselves enough benefit. benefit. They think, oh, I'm if I don't have that kind of killer instinct, Jordan, Messi, whoever, who just constantly chases their goals and reaches them, that somehow that means I'm lesser. But there's probably somewhere else that you're doing very well and something that you need to give yourself credit for, some way that you're showing strength that you don't even realize is actually showing strength because someone else doesn't have that. Like that happens a lot when I talk to people that they'll be like, oh, well, you know, I'm struggling with X and Y. And, uh, and I'll be like, well, you know, most people struggle with A and you're already here. So take pride in the work you have done because that'll help push you forward. 100%. I mean, we're kind of all formed by our experiences, aren't we? And it's natural that certain people have different experiences than others. So you shouldn't be too hard on yourself if you've not had an experience that's led you to develop a certain trait at all. We also tend to compare ourselves to like the finished product. And we didn't see Kobe when he was growing up trying to build that attitude. We didn't see, you know, Tiger Woods growing up building that attitude. So it's not like they've always had it. No, no. And it's not like it's always clicked as well. It's not like it's just a sudden, a sudden moment where they've got this mentality. It's kind of a long period of time of learning, isn't it? Absolutely. And some of the other stuff I was reading about, um, like there's, we talked goal setting and stuff and, some of the ways to improve self-efficacy talking about this is something modeling, something called modeling where uh, a re- there was a research study where a bunch of people were doing a pre ACL surgery. Uh, were given videos of people in their recovery uh, and showing the different setbacks that can happen and the difference in the like people succeeding. Um, and people who watched these videos were far better off at the end of their term than the people who didn't. And so the recovery periods by looking up to people who are recovering, like, like Tiger Woods, like I'm probably going to, in any session where I'm working with someone recovering from injury, I'm probably going to talk about Tiger Woods and looking Mm -hmm. up to that kind of goal setting and chasing that attitude kind of thing. Using those kinds of exemplars can be really, really, really useful. Yeah, because I guess people can identify with it, can't they? They can see that mm-hmm. oh, they've gone through the same experiences as me. This is what do you know. This I can I can be like that as well. It's um yeah, it's it's a really kind of powerful tool if you're ever trying to get over an injury or trying to help someone do it. I am um, yeah, allowing them to to kind of speak to people who've or or just kind of watch people who kind of been through that similar experience. Hundred percent. So yeah, I think um I think I'm just really happy that he was back, and I get to watch it. And I don't know how much longer we're going to be able to do that, but I think he's he's uh, signed up to go to St. Andrews this year, which will be really fun. Yeah, he should St. play Andrews, better yeah. at St. Andrews too, because it's a very flat golf course, so it, it won't be like yeah. walking around Augusta. Yeah, and it's not like he's given himself enough time to to get a little bit of practice in before then. As yeah, well, I think he's I think he's probably going to play one or two events between now and St. Andrews. St. Andrews is in July. Yeah, um, he might play the U.S. Open between now and then as well. Um, but I yeah, I'm just thankful to watch him play golf again because he's the greatest of all time and it's always fun to watch i've got kind of a, a slightly alternative question for you here bryce okay so all right um who was the the young lad who teed off with tiger woods i can't it's not zalatoris i can't remember his name um, uh joaquin neiman yes yes joaquin neiman because he also they also teed off with uh louis Oosthuizen, but he pulled out after thursday yes yeah, he, he yeah, played with joaquin yeah. neiman on all of thursday and friday how, if you're Joaquin Neiman or his psychologist, how do you help him 
to retain his focus with all yeah. of that going on around. I, I know he mentioned, I, I heard the, the commentators when I was watching said he'd commented on it saying he was just trying to ignore everything and just focus on his own game. But you'd have to be incredibly good at kind of blocking out those irrational, like irrelevant or irrational thoughts to, to ignore kind of Tiger was getting standing ovations everywhere. You're kind of walking sort of thing. Um, so how would yeah. you help someone to maintain their focus when something kind of so colossal like that is happening? I think you kind of just have to acknowledge that that's happening. You can't ignore it. Like it's impossible to ignore it. So what you have to do is get to a place of acceptance. Um, and I think he got there because Keen Neiman played really well. Um, the other key part about that that's really interesting that you might know is that he had never played with Tiger Woods before. He's too too young to have played a lot of rounds and he with at the same time as Tiger. Um, and he'd never been paired up with him before. So that was the first time they'd been even been paired up together. That's quite, quite an interesting thing as well because I think, wasn't he laughing that he uh, Nima wasn't born when Tiger won his first major or something like that? Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think I think it almost goes back to what we talked about before about locus of control. I think mm-hmm. obviously, yeah. like you mentioned, you can't change a situation, can you? So you no. you can't do anything to to remove yourself from a situation, but you can control control yourself and focus on yourself and and do kind of whatever you need to do to get yourself ready because you can't control any of the outside stuff. Yeah, you just kind of have to accept it for what it is, mm-hmm. and. And then once you've accepted it, you know what's going to be there. You know what's going to happen. You're not going to be surprised by anything. And then you just return to your own routines. And even though, like, you may, like, between shots, you can look around and be like, man, this is really cool, whatever is happening. But then whenever you get to that shot, you have to relock in, go through your routine, and hit the shot you need to hit. Yeah, I guess that ability to kind of switch on and switch off is quite important there, isn't it? Yeah, and golfers are pretty good at that. That's one of the things I've noticed is especially talkers, um, the kind of people who like to talk during the round, uh, like you'll see DJ have conversations with his playing partners and then get locked in. Colin Morikawa does that, you know, um, Bryson does that, like all, all the big name talkers, they go from having, you know, talking about whatever, making jokes with the crowd or the audience or whatever. Like uh, there's a good clip from not that long ago. They were playing in, I think it was a Valero Texas open um, just before the masters it may have been before that. And Justin Thomas had hit a shot left of the green. He's in the kind of uh, uh, like tree, dirty, leavy area. Um, and there's like uh, some patrons around him, which they're not patrons. It's just crowd is patrons of the masters and they're drunk. And one of them's up on like, uh, like grandstand <laughs> and he kind of heckles him a little bit. He's like, greens are fast, bump and run. And JT kind of has to come out of his process for a second, look at him and go, you good? And then once the guy stops talking, he goes, he immediately locks back into his process and starts talking to his caddy again about what they want to do. So it's like these guys show the ability to come in and out of that process because they've hammered that process so much so often. And they're so used to the crowds and unique situations like rain or somebody talking behind them or hitting a shot into a crowd and then having them really close as, and as opposed to where they normally are. So it's kind of one of these things like golfers get really good at that, about trusting themselves and trusting their process and getting back into it so they can hit the shot they need to hit. It must be so important to do that when, do you know when the, uh, the hit, hit a ball into the crowd and they're taken from it and you see the, the crowd are like what, 30 yeah. people deep, but like all the way up next to your ball. Yeah, they're like five feet away because you've had to move Yeah, because you can imagine there. the amount of like, 
you could almost just hear all 30 people, oh, sorry, all 30 deep crowd. Like, you could almost hear e- what each individual saying in that situation. Like, there's so much kind mm-hmm. of, like, external sim- stimuli going on. It's, it's amazing to see kind of, for me anyway, I know I get a bit put off by that type of thing when I play golf. So it's amazing to see kind of those <laughs> professionals. Well, it's a good thing you're not a pro yeah. then. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why you're not a pro is because you couldn't, <laughs> you couldn't handle the crowds. Yeah, and that's the only reason. Yeah, same, same, Doug. <laughs> The other thing that really, I really like to see, I, I, I just want to mention it. Go for Rory McIlroy. God, oh, I want man. him to win a Masters so bad, and oh. that Sunday performance was awesome. And like, I have nothing against Scotty Scheffler. I think he's a good guy. He's a good number one player. His swing is super unique. He's kind of a boring personality. Like, he's very <laughs> laid back, low key, and there's nothing wrong with that. That makes him, it makes him an endearing person overall. Mm-hmm. But God, did I. I would have given anything for him to drop five shots in two holes and, oh, no, and oh, win. And he ended up four putting a double bogey on 18 anyway. <laughs> and he, if he'd just done that a couple more times, God, I would have killed yeah. Ferrari to win on a day like that. I know. Well, because on this podcast, we talk about imagery quite a lot, don't we? And you can imagine the amount of negative imagery that Rory McIlroy's had to face over the last three or four years, or probably longer actually, with the amount of times he's kind of either choked or not played well and got himself frustrated, it's very hard to kind of, very hard to ignore those and try and get those out of your mind. So for him to kind of finish so strongly and be able to kind of go into the next major tournament with those kind of feelings of, you know, I actually am confident and on top of my game here. I'm really looking forward to what he can do. I, I personally think... If he can use that imagery well, like ahead of the next tournament, um, to kind of relate to what he's what he's just done, he's he's in with a big chance of winning. God, I hope that unlocks something in him. I hope we see him play well at the Open, the U.S. Open, and the PGA, and then come back to the Masters it. with a good yeah. attitude. Because his problem, like if you look at his performances in the majors since 2014, the last time he won a major, which is that's crazy to think about how long ago that is. Yeah. Um, he is like something like plus 120 in first rounds yeah but like uh but like 600 under for the other three where he basically he goes into these these tournaments these majors and thinks like uh, he gets all hyped up and then he goes in and tries to he just chokes in round one and then it's just he loosens up at that point if he could come in loose and play well for all four days there's nobody more talented than him in the world of golf right now like there just isn't and it's just it's so frustrating to watch because he's a great guy he's incredibly endearing he's honest and open which is sometimes too open where he admits to psychological stuff that he could probably keep internal um but god i want him to win a master so bad i know like i I was chatting to my my flatmate about it as he was going along and his his kind of like he thought Rory was performing so well in that last round was because he had nothing to lose. There was nothing at stake. All he had was the ability to potentially win. Do you know, you've got nothing to lose at that stage. Mm -hmm. Whereas you compare that obviously to that first and second day of, of a tournament, he's going into that with that mentality of, you know, there's everything to lose, isn't there? Do you know? Yeah. I think your roommate's right. Sort of thing. I think your roommate's right. Uh, And since 2014, uh, Rory has finished top 10 at like, I don't know, half the majors, maybe more, but they're always what's called a backdoor top 10 where he plays terrible in the first round, but by Sunday he gets fifth, sixth. And it's just, he, he's not really has a chance to win, but 
he plays well enough to get into a top 10 and like then you see his right re- and then so then when he goes to the pga tour they're like oh he plays top 10 of the major he's playing pretty well it's like nah, he's really not though <laughs> yeah I, I just love this to be a catalyst for something for him moving forwards yeah i hope it unlocks something but every time he does it every time you see him have a good th- saturday sunday sneak into the top 10 you're like okay t- rory learn from this and I hope with how explosive this particular one is, especially chipping on an 18 that way and having back-to-back with Kuala Morikawa <laughs> was really cool. I hope it does unlock something because he just needs to... He's talked a lot about being like, well, I just need to accept like where I'm at and be happy with what I'm at. And it, it, it just sounds like someone trying to convince themselves that's what, they're, yeah. that's what they think. And if he actually gets there, he'd win a Masters again. Or oh, he'd win a Masters I mean... for the first time, I should say. There's a reason why most of the people in golf kind of say he's one of the best golfers they've ever seen. Yeah. He just needs to have the kind of mental fortitude, I think, um, to to take it forward. But yeah, fingers crossed, because it just felt different, didn't it? It felt different yeah, from the previous times when he's finished strongly. So I've just got my fingers crossed for that next one. I'm going to really avidly be watching now. It did feel a little different. Um yeah, we didn't mention at all the one of the guys who was in the final pairing, Cam Smith. I'm a big Cam Smith fan. His very aggressive style of golf is very enjoyable. He spent he finished runner up at the 2020 Masters, top ten at the other two since then, um, in 2021 and then in 2022 this year. Um, I feel like he's due at some point. Yeah, yeah, and I, it was. I don't know about you. I, I assume you were the same, but with my psychologist hat on when I was watching after he put the ball into the water, he was begging out for someone or or just a, he he was begging out for a technique just to take a bit of time to himself and to accept Joe, the mistake he'd made and move on. Because I think he kind of like, he almost zombie like played the next two or three holes and made a couple more mistakes because he hadn't got over what he'd just done. He wasn't that far away from Scheffler, even with that bad hole. You know, Scheffler has, one or two bad holes, if Cam Smith makes a birdie or an eagle, something like that, he's back in the game. And it's almost like, yeah, he just, like with my psychologist hat on, it was heartbreaking to see him not be able to to do anything to kind of stop that slide for that kind of three or four holes after he made that mistake. Well, that kind of, um, 12 ended it. Like he, at that point he had no chance and he knew it. And you can see the next few holes, like he, you're right. He didn't get over it, but zombie, I don't know if is the word I'd use. Cause like he was very animated during those way more than he ever is. Like you could see the frustration when he, like his 13 T he, uh, sprayed, right. I think uh, he either sprayed it or hooked it, but it was not a good tee shot. Mm-hmm. And you could see him immediately like, sl- like picks up his club in a frustrated manner. And like, that's not cam Smith. Cam Smith is, the cool and steady hunter type. Um, so yeah, 12 ended it. But what really I think is when, when the whole thing flip was on three, they both hit their drives left. Oh, yes. yes. Scotty Scheffler ended up behind the scoreboard and getting a free drop. Cam Smith has a chance to uh, pitch up uh, for a second shot and have a birdie putt. Scheffler leaves his pitch short. So he rolls down the false. It's not really a false front, but rolls down the ridge. So he's about, you know, 12 feet below the hole. And then Cam Smith, all he has to do is stick it up there and then uh, give himself a birdie putt and everything's on, but he does the exact same thing. And that's when everything, because then immediately on that one hole, he bogeyed. Uh, Scotty Scheffler got a really kind of lucky chip in. 
and they went from one uh, a two stroke lead that had come down from six or four i think it was six to a, or no it was four to a two stroke lead to he had a chance to make it a one stroke lead and it went back to four on that one hole yeah and it made him have to be more aggressive didn't it that was when everything flipped back yeah. around yeah and uh, he birdies he birdies 11 which is a really really tough birdie and I think in his head, his attitude was like, all right, here's my chance. He said afterwards he wasn't going anywhere near the pin because that Sunday yeah, pin on yeah. 12, like you can't go at it. With the way the wind works, you can't play a draw in because the wind will hold it up and put it in the water. Um, and he said it was basically just a bad swing and that yeah. wasn't even close to where he was aiming. So it's just one of those things like sometimes that stuff happens. Um, but yeah, afterwards he did not recover. And I, But honestly, I think it was over at that yeah. point. Yeah, I, I guess... I guess because didn't Sheffler still have to play? Um, is it the fifteenth or the sixteenth? I mean, they still had they had uh, thirteen. They had thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. So thirteen is a really easy par five. Fourteen is a par four. That's not like super. It's it's probably the most difficult out of those run ups until you get to seventeen, eighteen. Um, but it's not super bad. And then fifteen is a par five. Uh, where you kind of have to make a choice, but it's a pretty, it's a birdie chance for sure. Then 16 with the funnel pin is a hole in one chance on Sunday, but it's just, it's a very easy birdie chance. Then 17 is a tough hole, and then 18 you're basically just trying yeah, to hold, yeah. put the ball in the fairway. Yeah, that's there. true. Yeah, I, I I guess he was pretty much game over, but but yeah, I I think I just hope it's not a Macquarie situation where something like that happens and you allow it to affect you next time you're in the, you're in, the um, in the situation. I don't think it will be for him. He's uh, Cam Smith has kind of got a different attitude to somebody like Rory. He's very confident in his ability. Um, he knows what he's good at, and he kind of has a better hunter aggressive mentality, which is why he's so fun to watch. Yeah, yeah, it was he was very good to watch for throughout the whole tournament, wasn't he? Yeah, I really like Cam Smith. He's he's a fun guy. Um, so yeah, that was a good conversation. Do you have anything else you want to talk about? I don't think so. I think we got. To, I was literally going to mention Cam Smith before you did. So I'm glad. You yeah, I think we it. had to. I mean, we had to. He was in the final group, played really well, and then had that moment. Yeah, I think um, it's just going to be interesting to see who takes what into the next kind of round of golf, isn't it? Because they were talking uh, af- after the fact that whether Scheffler can keep up this kind of insane kind of like progression to go from where he was what 12 months ago to pretty much winning nearly everything that he's kind of going in for. It's going to be interesting to see kind of who is successful in the next kind of major and see if people will kind of follow that trend of, you know, form taking people through or, or the like, it, it'll be, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm just interested, interested as a psychologist and, and a fan. The golf majors this year are really good. Um, so we've got obviously Augusta, which is every year, but then they're playing Southern Hills for PGA Championship, which is up next, it's next month. Uh, and then after that, they go to Brookline, Massachusetts, to the Country Club. Uh, the famous, if you've never seen the movie, I highly recommend it. The greatest game ever played. Shia LaBeouf, several others. Uh, the story of Francis Wimet, the first, the f- not the first, I don't think, maybe the first to win the U.S. Open. Uh, he beat Harry Varden and Ted Ray in a playoff, eighteen-hole playoff on a Monday. Uh, he was a poor. He was. He's called Francis Wimet's considered the father of modern. Um, amateurism because back then amateurism was for like lords and rich people and he was from a working class family okay. and managed to win the u.s open so it's a really cool story highly recommend the movie it's a fun movie um kind of disney-fied but it's pretty fun um 
and then and then they go to the to the old course at St Andrews, the home of golf. So it's a really fun list of majors coming up. So it'll be really interesting. And these are like these are if you win a major at one of these places, like you've won a major. It's not like when you go to Torrey Pines or something like that, where it's kind of eh. It's it's a proper golf club. No, it's all about the history, isn't it? For sure, this will be a fun year. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, the next one's the Southern Hills. It will be interesting to see who plays well there. I think Rory McIlroy can play well there. He's done that before. It'd be really cool to see like a Rory McIlroy Jordan Spieth PGA Championship. Jordan Spieth just won in uh, Harbor Town in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it'll be uh, it'd be really cool to see them do it because but those two guys are very similar in that like unbelievably talented incredibly fun to watch and great personalities who are very open and honest about what they're thinking. Yeah. They're both, both people you can't help but rooting for really. Yeah. Yeah. Very endearing personalities. Yeah. Um, I think our next subject will probably be a combination. I would ex- probably actually the champions league final. That'll be before the NBA finals. Cause I think we, when we talk about the NBA, it should be for the finals. Cause the, there's too many storylines for the playoffs to talk about. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think so. I mean, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, sadly, Bryce, your team will not be part of that conversation. Nope, they never are. Um, this year we were tanking. We have a pretty good chance for a good draft pick, so I'll be that'll be fun. Yeah, to see what the Pacers do. Yeah, but yeah, we've got plenty of sport coming up, haven't we, over the next few weeks? So, oh God, yes. And then we'll have, and then after that, probably have more golf majors. May have some big cricket events. I don't know how, what the schedule's like for that. I think there's another um, World Cup coming up soon. Okay, cool, cool. And then we'll have it's, it's uh, Qatar is this year, isn't it? It is, which is crazy because I don't know if I even want to talk about it. Though. Uh, we can decide near the time. I mean, the weird thing is, right, the, the football season what ends in some point in May and it restarts in right like mid July, isn't it? There's like six weeks off. It's crazy because of the World Cup. So, um, God, they're gonna have transfers through for like the first two months of the season. I know, I know. It's crazy. It's mad. (laughs) God, yeah, that's kind of. I I don't know if I want to talk about the World Cup. I think we're gonna have. We're gonna be forced to. I think, but I don't know if I want to. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we can just we we can refer to an abstract football tournament, can't we? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's all too. The Pro Evolution Cup. Oh yeah, can we do it like um was it on, was it on Pro Evo where they changed the names? It's like Manchester Reds versus like But yeah, they used to before I think they eventually got the rights, but for a long time they didn't have the rights, so they had fake names. <laughs> yeah. Like the old college football games where they have to where they just had number 8 or whatever and cuz they couldn't didn't have the rights to use the college players names. Yeah, we'll we'll have to rehearse that so we get it all right now. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right. Well, that was a good conversation. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Our next pod will, like I said, probably be around the Champions League final in mid-May, late May, unless we can think of something else to talk about between now and then. Uh, If you want to follow a Twitter account, I have uh, at BondPerform. Do you have a Twitter that you want to pump? Uh, I do. It's Liam Jenkins 6. So you got Liam Jenkins 6 on Twitter or BondPerform, which is my business's Twitter. I haven't really done anything with it yet, but we'll probably that's probably where I'll post most about the podcast. Um, thanks for listening. Thank you.